Good morning, church family. It's it's good to see y'all. Please turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 9, verse 20. Today we're going to look at the beginning of the brand new life of Saul of Tarsus. And and, and full disclosure, I I was going to call this the testimony of a regenerate life, which your bulletin insert alludes to, um, but it didn't fit in the title spot on the PowerPoint very well. And so... So I change it to the witness of a new life, which means basically the same thing, but in less theological words. But since it's good for us to understand theological words, we're going to talk through them for a couple of minutes. And, and while we're doing that, I'm going to let the kids find the bingo pictures. Um, I just This time there's a cash prize for any middle, middle schooler that correctly tells me which picture is missing without getting help from outside of your immediate family. Okay i got to give props to Hudson and Bryn last week, who afterwards, he was, he was trying to pull up the, the, the service to watch it again. He was going through it, trying to find the slides. <laughs> and the first time I did this, Josh and Jonathan collaborated, so they split the prize. So I was like, really? Um, but uh, it, it's only like, it, it's, a, it's a little prize. But it's still a cash prize, just saying. So um, anyway, so just so you all know, every, every page that has bingo pictures in it has more than one. So keep your eyes peeled. Uh, Okay, let's talk about the title. Many non-Christians will immediately equate witness and testimony with court language. Okay, because that's normally where that comes from. That's where we hear those words. Uh, A witness is a person who gives a testimony, right, which is their description of something that they've seen or something that they've heard. To Christians, though, uh, witness can be either a verb or a noun. And, and almost specifically to us, it, it refers to how we publicly glorify God in our lives. And what we usually think of as a testimony uh, is something else. We, we think of it as, as our personal story of how we were brought to salvation or maybe, uh, maybe a specific incident in our lives where God revealed himself in a big way. Now, for our purposes, the same Greek root word is used for both witness and testimony, which incidentally is where we get our English word martyr. And they can be synonymous, but, but I like testimony because it sounds cool and, and Bible-y to me. I don't know, but there's, there's, a much, there's a much bigger difference between the word new and the word regenerate, okay? And in the PowerPoint, I use the word new, and, and that's fair. 2 Corinthians 5 says anyone who is in Christ is a new creation, right? We know this, okay? But I love the word regenerate because it shows the change from what once was. For example, if, if you bought a new Honda Civic, then you are not driving something that used to be an old Honda Civic, okay? But the word regenerate brings to mind what Jesus himself said about being born again, literally born from above. It refers to the fact that we were dead in sin and God gave us new life through his Holy Spirit. And a person who truly becomes a Christian is not the same person that he or she was before. And the disparity between who you used to be and who, they, who you have become, that ought to be obvious to anyone who, who knows both the before and after pictures, so to speak. So that, that's the main point of today's message. We are going to look at the sudden and enormous change in the life of Saul of Tarsus, how it manifested, how it was received, and the results that God brought out of it. Okay, so would you, would you bow with me and we'll pray. 
Father God, thank you so much for this morning. I thank you for your word and for the fact that we get to dive into it. And I pray, God, that we dive deep and that we... Um, that when we come back up for air, Lord, that we bring good things with us. And I pray, Father, that, uh, that you will help us to take the, the teaching that, that we'll learn today, take it with us in our lives and, and let it manifest itself in our own spheres of influence and in our own Christian walk. I pray, God, not one person leaves here untouched by your word. And I thank you, Father, that you continue uh, to share the good news through flawed vessels like me and like the rest of us. We love you, Lord, and we pray that you open the eyes of our hearts so that these seeds will take root and bear fruit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, we're going to look at a dozen verses today, uh, but it's, it's the bookends, okay? It's the first and last verse that, that shed some serious light on what goes on in between. So, so just keep that in mind as we go, and remember the premise. Today we are, we are reading the testimony of a regenerate life, okay? Starting in verse 20. And immediately he, Saul, proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. Immediately, it says. Right off the bat. Anybody remember what Paul was doing just a few days before this? Would you say? Whacking Christians? Yeah. He was, I mean, he, he was persecuting the disciples of the Lord, right? He was, he was going after followers of Jesus, and then he was arresting and jailing, torturing, even killing them. I mean, that was like last week, you know, from the perspective of, of these folks that are observing what's happening. So, so what's he doing right now? He's preaching? Yes, Saul is proclaiming the same Jesus that he was trying to erase all memory of just days ago. Church, this, this is the key to everything else we're going to look at today, and not just today. It has to do with the entire Christian life, okay? The purpose and the substance of the testimony of a regenerate life is to proclaim Jesus, full stop. Proclaim Jesus. There are, listen, there are ravenous wolves today in the world, even in, in places in the church that are going to try to tell you that the purpose of the Christian faith is to give you your best life now or to make you the best you you can be. And that is a satanic lie from the pit of hell. That is not the purpose of the Christian life. The purpose of the Christian life is to glorify God and to find our satisfaction in Him, not in the gifts that He gives us especially not in this life. Now, this ought to show, this, this desire to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever, this ought to show in every facet of the Christian's life. We should, we should be living examples of love and grace and joy and, and contentment and peace despite whatever's happening around us in the world. And that's easier said than done, right? Amen? <laughs> that's easier said than done. Perhaps the most powerful way, though, that we can do this is by proclaiming Jesus clearly while living lives that show that we have been reborn in Him. And we're going to dwell on this point for a little bit, so, so hang with me. Some of you have already heard my view on this, um, but, but just quickly for those who haven't, there's this famous quote that I really dislike, um, and, and Christians share it a lot. And it goes like this, Preach the gospel at all times, if necessary, use words. Okay? The best take I've heard on this quote is a parody, and it goes like this. Feed the hungry at all times. If necessary, use food. Do you see where that's, where, that's, where that's taking us? 
Because, listen, folks, obviously, a, a verbal presentation of the gospel is going to be potentially less effective if the person saying it isn't living it. I think we can all agree on that. But the power of God for the salvation of those who believe is the gospel. And it's in the truth of the message, not the ethos of the preacher. You need to understand that. The power is in the message. A person can inherit eternal life through faith in Christ, even if they hear the gospel through a hugely flawed person who doesn't live up to it. And I know that because this church is proof of that. Because you are hearing the gospel every Sunday from a very flawed vessel. But a person cannot and will never come to eternal life just from observing a person who tries to live like Jesus without ever explaining why. Saul was proclaiming Jesus. That word translated proclaim comes from the Greek word meaning to herald. Uh, back in ancient times, an announcement from a king of the land would be read in a town square, each town square, by a herald. Okay, And this person, would first they would draw a lot of attention to the fact that they were about to proclaim a message from the king. And it was very important. And so, I mean, we're talking about like the, the trumpets and the hear ye, hear ye type thing. Okay, And, and so Saul... He didn't just go, wow, God, thanks for saving me. I'm going to go back to my own thing. He, he realized he had a message that other people desperately needed to hear. And he wasn't going to be shy about that message. Now, now what was he proclaiming about Jesus? You know, simply put, he is the son of God. Remember, the first part of the good news about Jesus is who he is. And this is incredibly important. If Jesus was not the Son of God, then that means he would have been lying when he said he was the Son of God. And if that was the case, then everything else that Jesus said about himself and about his mission would be suspect too. And if Jesus wasn't the Son of God, then he would not have the magnitude to pay for the sins of the world. Friends, it's necessary that we understand who Jesus is and also that we not be ashamed of him. Not be ashamed because we are, we are called to proclaim Jesus and his truth. Now, the fact that Saul was the guy proclaiming this was understandably confusing to anybody that hadn't been on the road to Damascus with him, right? I mean, you know, he's... Just bear with me. So Luke writes, all who heard him were amazed and said... Is this not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring all them bound before the chief priests? To bring them bound before the chief priests. But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. This, this is the second part of the message after who Jesus is. To prove, I love that word, to prove that he is the Christ means that Saul was showing with evidence of Scripture what God did through the death and resurrection of Jesus, which is the rest of the basic gospel message. I mean, certainly we have to recognize these blurbs here, are, they're a summary of what Saul was teaching. That's not the totality. He wasn't just walking around saying just two sentences over and over. Okay, just so we're on the same page here. The, the Jews, though, they had been awaiting a Messiah for centuries. And, and the Messiah is, Mashiach is the Hebrew word. It's translated Christ uh, into Greek. It's Christu in Greek. It's the same 
word. It means anointed one, okay? And so for Saul to say that Jesus was the promised Messiah, that was about more than just his identity. Because God's promise to his people from all the way back in Genesis 3.15 was that he would save them through a Messiah. And so the apostles' message, it would have included how this salvation would take place. He would have explained that God had atoned for the sins of the world through Jesus' death, and also that he raised Jesus from the dead according to his perfect plan. And this was, this was the message that revealed both the greatness and the goodness of God. And that he was forgiving the sins of the world through Christ, and that he commanded repentance and faith for those who would receive that forgiveness. Now, just a quick side note, if, you, if you're wondering why I seem to harp on the gospel message and what it consists of and what it means, I, I truly do believe what the Bible teaches. I do believe the gospel message saves people by leading them to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. And I, I also believe that every one of us needs to understand it. Not only for our own salvation, but in order that we can present the gospel in such a way that others come to the Lord too. We want people to know the truth and the truth to set them free. And for them too to be saved by grace through faith. I mean, listen, we can walk around telling people Jesus loves you and God has a wonderful plan for your life. And Jesus wants to give you life abundantly. And all of that is true, but those truths alone will not save anyone. They won't. That's not the gospel. At worst, it'll give them a false idea of what Jesus came to do. You know what one of the biggest dangers in the world today is? It's a vaccine. No, not that one. For those of you that are thinking that, no. It's the vaccine of false faith. Church, when dead or incomplete Christianity gets injected into people, they learn to fight off the real thing when they're exposed to it. The Christianity vaccine comes in many forms. It's lawlessness, which says that Jesus is your Savior even though you live however you want. It's legalism that says that you're acceptable to God because you've managed to check enough boxes. It's moralistic deism that ignores the atonement and the doctrine of sin. It's a distorted view of Christianity that, that teaches that it's all about you and about you being blessed rather than God being glorified. These are all false gospels. These false so-called gospels are leading people away from the true gospel that is Christ and Him crucified. So know and share the true gospel, friends. Please. Share the real thing. In order that others might know the Lord and be saved, we must proclaim Jesus, who he is, and what God did through him. Well, there's more in this passage, of course. Notice how confused Saul's listener, you know, the, or those people that are, that are hearing him, how they just seem to be completely dumbstruck by what's going on. You know, they're like, well, this guy just a few days ago was, and now he's, you know, I mean, like, they're, they're really confused. I think most of today's text follows 
a theme, and that's that God's change in us is revelatory and that it attests to its own truth. In layman's terms, it speaks for itself. Do you remember when the Lord first convicted you that you were not living according to the faith that you professed? Do you? For me, it was in between my junior and senior years of high school. And I started bringing a big, fat study Bible to school. And often, maybe not often, but certainly more than once, people would look at me and go, you're a Christian? And I'd respond with, bleep, yeah, I'm a Christian. Because, I I mean, I was an idiot. I, I look at that now I mean, that's, that's an unfortunate response because there was a whole lot of sanctification that needed to happen, but I just wasn't open to it yet. But looking back, I wish I'd started reading that Bible and living it rather than just carrying it. That would have been a far better testimony to a new regenerate life, you know? Notice, though, that Saul doesn't immediately go around trying to convince everyone that he's changed so that he can have more credibility in witnessing. Instead, he just starts witnessing and he lets the change speak for itself. That might be instructive for us. You know, true conversion is not something that stays hidden. It will be proven by visible fruit in the person's life. And not only was it obvious that that Saul had switched sides, but it says he was increasing in strength as he debated with others. Imagine you're an Afghani Christian, okay, and you've heard a major leader of the Taliban was coming to your town to make an example out of believers, And you're waiting with dread for him to show up and and just start dragging people out of the homes in your village. But when his entourage shows up and everybody's nervous, nothing happens. And a few days later, still, nothing's happened. It's all quiet for several days. Then all of a sudden, you find that same Taliban leader standing in the town square preaching the same gospel that led you to repentance and faith in Christ. It does. But it would sure be confusing. And yet, wouldn't it be tremendously encouraging if you watched him long enough to see that his behavior was consistent with what he was teaching? Wouldn't that be a powerful testimony? I'll bet the followers, the followers, the followers of the way At the time, I think that they were probably uh, torn kind of between being dumbfounded and being just joyful. That they were seeing this once horrible persecutor preaching the word of God. But but the same non-Christian Jews in Damascus, they didn't feel the same way, you know, because Luke writes, when many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul. It says they were watching the the gates day and night in order to kill him, but his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. You know, friends, when, when we experience the great life change that accompanies regeneration, you had better believe it makes enemies and it will involve risk. This is just, this is scriptural truth. And this, this is only the first time just in today's text, okay, that folks decide to kill Saul, but he gets away. I mean, that, that's right. It happens again in the next few verses, okay? And, and then it becomes a pretty consistent theme for the rest of Saul's life. Truth makes enemies, folks. It does. People don't like to hear it. 
Okay? Speaking and living truth is risky in a temporal sense. It's been said that truth sounds like hate to those who hate truth. And in today's culture, a person with absolute truth claims, for instance, Jesus is the only way to heaven, that, that's met with hostility. I mean, again, anyone who tries to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, 2 Timothy says. So it's a risk. It's a risk to take a stand against the culture. It is. But that, that is exactly what Christians in the first century were doing, and, and it's also what many Christians are doing in multiple nations today. And it's what we're called to also. I mean, if you're, if you're going to stand firmly for Christ and stand firmly for Christ's gospel, then be prepared to experience hatred from some. Just be ready for it. On another subject, um, can we take a moment to appreciate the ingenuity here? You know, there's people trying to kill Paul, so to avoid that, his friends literally lowered him from the city wall in a basket. I mean, that sounds pretty risky in its own right, doesn't it? You know, I don't know how big this wall was, but the fact is any risk we take, any, any danger we face or enemy that we make in this world for the sake of Jesus, that isn't really a risk in the long run, is it? Thank you. <laughs> no, no, it isn't. It's not a risk in the long run. Friends, risking, risking everything to follow Christ in this life means, listen, means regretting nothing in the next life. Risking everything in this life means regretting nothing in the next life. Let's read on. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. You know, th th this is another thing, especially for those of us whose past lives were more openly sinful than others. The change that God produces in us might be tough for some to accept. People may have a hard time believing that it's real, particularly if we've had a long time building up a reputation as being hostile to the faith. Or, or maybe worse, if we previously claimed Christ, but we weren't truly saved and we were living in hypocrisy. It's tough to change a person's view of us, especially if we've hurt them in the past. Remember, the, the disciples knew Saul as the guy who'd led the charge against the church. They, they probably thought he was faking belief to root him out. You know, and it's, it's easy to second-guess people, isn't it? But, but sometimes we forget that, that we've all got a history. I mean, everybody listening to this right now, whether in this room or online, everybody listening to this right now has a history. A shady past. All of us. We've all rebelled against the Lord at some point. Some of us have lived like pagans in our old lives, while others of us grew up steeped in pride and judging everyone else. Many of us are still struggling against the temptation to live in those mentalities. And you know what else is probably fair to assume that some people listening right now are picturing in their heads somebody else that fits this description without realizing how well it describes them. Don't be that person. Own your mess. 
own it. Confess your sins and forgive others their sins. And try to give other people the benefit of the doubt, especially if they claim Christ and there's at least some evidence to back that up. Give them the benefit of the doubt. Be, be, a, be a Barnabas. You know, what, what's Barnabas mean? Anybody remember? What? I heard it. Son of, Son of encouragement. Thank you, Dana. When people show the fruit of genuine conversion, draw them into your sphere. Walk with them. Be a son of encouragement. Now, now listen, that, that doesn't mean that we don't use discernment. I mean, God, God gave us wisdom. God gave us caution for a reason. And, and he also, he makes the gospel clear enough, I think, that, that, that we can know to exclude people from Christian fellowship if they teach heresy or if they are flagrantly unrepentant in sin. But be willing to believe that God can and does save people, even those that are broken and lost in sin, because after all, he got you and he got me. Praise God. And he doesn't just save us, he uses us too. So, so Barnabas backed up Saul's confession and, and he stood up for him as a fellow believer when others were doubting his sincerity as a convert. You know, And, and that's, again, th that's not Barnabas just naively saying, oh, we have to believe him because we're Christians and we have to dumbly accept whatever anybody tells us. No, he's, he's saying, I've seen the evidence of this man's faith and it is compelling. He was being an advocate for Saul. And we should be advocates for one another, trying, trying to be sure that every true believer is included in fellowship in the body. So let's, let's keep going. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists. Who are they? People who worship Helen Keller? Is that? No? Greeks, thank you. They were Greek people, and unfortunately, um, it was a, a group of Jews who lived like Greeks. Many of them were buying into the Greek philosophy, which was not a good thing. Uh, but they were seeking to kill him. Sounds familiar. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. There's that theme again. Saul goes to his own people and tries to share the gospel with them. And they get irritated and decide to kill him. And so other Christians hustle him off to the next danger zone, right? And that's basically the rest of his life. But Saul didn't give up. And he definitely didn't hold back. You know, because he, he had been born again by the Holy Spirit of God. And he was going to testify about it. They weren't going to stop him from bearing witness to Jesus. You know, it, it, it's intentional that we are told twice in a very short space that Paul was preaching boldly in the name of Christ. It says in the name of the Lord in one place, and a verse or so later it says in the name of Jesus. The testimony of a new life in Christ will inevitably glorify the name of the Lord because it is out of the overflow of the mouth, excuse me, out of the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks. Jesus himself said that. But glorifying God does not breed popularity because worldly people don't care about the glory of God, do they? No, they, 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 won't, they don't want God's name exalted. The carnal heart wants to exalt itself and its own desires, right? That's the whole worldly theme, follow your heart. I've seen a, 
a t-shirt. It has a brain and a heart. It has an arrow pointing. It says, I'm with stupid. I think it's brilliant because it's, guys, when you follow your heart, oh boy, I'm going to get off on a soapbox, so I better stop. Don't follow your heart. It's stupid. It is morally bereft. Now, God does give us a new heart. We're a new creation. His Holy Spirit speaks to us. But whenever we start listening to our heart, almost inevitably, we are listening to our carnal, fleshly nature, and it does not want us to follow Christ. It wants us to follow our own desires. I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. Mark Worley's definition of sin. This is, you know, hence the hostility towards Saul and toward us when we preach the gospel, right? Uh, but put, put that on the back burner for a second. Let me ask you this. Have you ever wondered why it was so offensive to the Jews to be told that their Messiah had come? I think it's the same reason that people reject the gospel today. No matter who they are, people really hate to be told that they're wrong. Don't we? We all hate to be told that we're wrong. And that, that's exactly what Saul was doing when he was preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. I mean, it's important for us to recognize that, that this, this anger and this hatred that's directed towards Saul, that had nothing to do with anything that he was saying or doing that was incorrect. Okay? It was the fact that he was shining the spotlight of truth into the darkness of sinful hearts, and they didn't want to be exposed. They didn't want to be told that, that being biologically Jewish wouldn't get them into heaven. You know, they, or, or that they couldn't achieve righteousness by following the law. Just like today, pe people don't want to be told that they're not a good person, not really. And, and, you know, people who've, who've been vaccinated by a false version of the gospel, they don't, they don't like to hear that they, that they can't be saved by being in a church or by tithing or by saying a little prayer or by just following rules. The, but here's the thing. They have to hear to know. We have to hear to know the truth. It's Jesus who is the way and the truth and the life, and through whom no one will come to the Father apart from him. And friends, like Saul, our calling is the bold preaching of Jesus with, with the added effect of legitimate life change that only comes from the Lord. That drastic change of heart from one of stone into one of flesh, that, that's one of God's most glorious miracles. And it glorifies him when people see and they hear what he's done. The world, listen, the world needs to see that in us and hear his message through us. So preach the gospel at all times. And since it's necessary, use words. Okay, last verse for today. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit... It multiplied. I like that word multiplied. We tend to see churches today and, and they, if they grow, it's by addition. It's not usually through multiplication, is it? There's an exponential nature to when a seed grows up and it dies and produces more. It multiplied. Anyway, I, I, I find it interesting that this verse begins with so. 
because that, that comes across to me like a cause-effect statement. I mean, maybe that wasn't the intent, but, but that's kind of how I read it. You know, in the middle of, of an ugly period of persecution, possibly the most rabid enemy of Jesus' followers suddenly becomes his most zealous disciple. And thus the church grows as a result. I think, I think it's interesting that in, in the first few chapters of the book of Acts, we see several instances where Luke mentions that the church is growing and not even one single place where it's shrinking. You ever notice that? It's always growing. I mean, think about what that means. God's hand is so powerful on his people that his church can grow both in times of joy and in times of great persecution. By the way, verse 31 here indicates that there was a brief time of peace in the church. And maybe because Saul's situation threw his enemies for such a loop. But, but please notice, even then, God wasn't building his church in a vacuum. He was partnering with his, with his people, and he was, he was using their faithfulness to accomplish his will. That, that last sentence there gives the circumstances under which the growth occurred. It wasn't when everybody was, you know, watching Hulu or cowering in a corner. Luke says of, of the church, and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. So what does that mean? Walking in the fear of the Lord is a pretty big concept, and, and really so is the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Why are they mentioned together here? What kind of word is walk? It's an active word. When you're walking, that's an active thing, right? Okay. I mean, it's, it's not just passively sitting on the couch. It's moving in a particular direction. And I view walking in the fear of the Lord as doing what God commands us to do. And also abstaining from what we're commanded not to do. And that's out of love. But it's also out of a healthy fear of his discipline. But Christians, we Christians can walk in the fear of the Lord and also in the comfort of the Holy Spirit because we can know we are no longer children of wrath. Praise God. You know, God, he, he may apply corrective discipline to his, I shouldn't have said may, I'll tell you, he will, according to Hebrews 12, he will apply corrective discipline to, to his children, up to and even including death. But because we belong to him, God's Holy Spirit gives us a constant reminder that we are submerged in an ocean of God's grace. His spirit speaks to our spirit within us, Romans 8 says. And it assures us of this wonderful fact, we are his. And so the, these two sides of the coin, they, they both ought to matter to us. For those who are regenerate, we should experience the fear of the Lord, but also the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And I truly believe that if God's church was faithfully walking in both of those things, we'd see multiplication too. We need both. We need to live in obedience to him, but we also need to, to let his Holy Spirit remind us of the forgiveness that we have in Christ and the holiness that he gives us as we're sanctified in him. Both of those facets should be apparent in our lives. Now, along with everything else we discussed, walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit are part of the testimony of regenerate life. So, so what do we do with all this? I mean, we, we proclaim Jesus, who he is and what he's done. 
You know, we, we allow God's change in us to be seen by the world. Listen, this isn't to glorify us. This is to glorify God. What does Jesus say in Matthew 5, 14? He says, you are the, the light of the world. He says, let your light shine before men in order that they might see your good deeds. And what, give you props? No, glorify your Father who is in heaven. The church is going to grow when we do this. It's going to grow whether we're being persecuted or whether we're in a time of peace as we currently are, the church will grow. I guess that's where uh, we just go into the invitation and I'm just going to ask you this. If, if you have anything that the Holy Spirit is leading you to do this morning, whether it's to confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior for the first time and be baptized by immersion according to what the Bible teaches, if that's you, do it this morning. If you've made that step already and you, you know that you're, you're needing forgiveness, you're, you're, you've been intentionally living in a sinful way and you need to ask for forgiveness and prayer, you can come up and do that. You don't have to announce to the whole church what's going on, um, but I'll pray with you. If you just want other Christians to come forward and lay hands on you and pray for you, we're happy to do that. If you feel led to join this church body and say, I want to place membership here, this is a time to do that as well. There's no, there's no pressure for these things from me. I'm just telling you, this is what God wants, so there's your pressure. The Holy Spirit's going to let you know. Okay? Don't fight him. 